Amen. Well, I love it. Every, uh, every time that we sing that song, that's like one of my favorite songs. It just really strikes my heart every time we sing it. And I'm so grateful to be one of the people um, who has been raised from death to life by Christ and Christ crucified. If he is giving you new life through his death, burial, and resurrection, and you have new life in Christ, can you just say amen this morning? Amen. amen. We praise the Lord together for that. Thankful to be able to worship with you this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, you can take it out now and open it up to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25, that's where we're going to be today as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Um, as we get into Acts 25 today, we are coming near to the end of our study through this New Testament book. We only have three chapters left after today. And uh, as we come into these last few chapters, I kind of just want to call something out, give a little caveat, a little disclaimer, whatever you want to call it, a little side note that um, really just calls something obvious to the surface. Um, over the past couple chapters of Acts and then kind of going into the conclusion of this book, there are a lot of repetitive things. There are um, kind of some similar themes that uh, run through this, um, this section of the book of Acts. And so over the next few weeks, um, and really for the past few weeks as well, we are going to see the same main point over and over again. We're just going to kind of say it in different ways. And the main point on these last few chapters of the book of Acts is this. It's this. When life doesn't go as we planned, God is still working his plan, right? Do we all understand that this morning? That when life doesn't go as we planned, God is always still working his plan. Now, how many of you can think back to your early kind of younger years and you can remember the plans that you had for your life? Right? Okay, some of you. I remember when I was uh, in elementary school, uh, I loved baseball. I loved, you know, playing baseball, studying baseball. I, it was all about baseball. And so as an elementary kid, I thought, okay, I'm going to grow up to play baseball for the Detroit Tigers. All right? God obviously had different plans. We, uh, I got into middle school, and I think I watched some movie about Pistol Pete Maravich and basketball, and I decided I wanted to become a pro basketball player. And, uh, you know, I stopped growing at like five foot nine in seventh grade, and pretty soon like that dream came crashing down. Right? Then when I got into high school, I remember... I went, I left high school and I went to college wanting to be a doctor. And uh, so I think that's because like in the 90s, some of you will remember that old TV show ER, right? <laughs> I think it just made a real impression on me, right? And so I wanted to go to college to be a doctor. So I went to Cedarville. Um, I went in as a biology major and my biology major lasted five days, <laughs> I was there five days and very quickly realized everybody else in these intro to biology classes, they have a level of understanding that I do not have, right? And so the introductory class did its job. It weeded me out. I changed my major. And then, you know, as time went on through college, uh, eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to become an attorney. Um, I'm good at arguing. We can all do that, right? So we'll just try that. And uh, actually there was this kind of girl I was in a relationship with and now all my life decisions were kind of based off her. So when that life, when that uh, relationship fell apart, so did my desire for law school. All right. And uh, really that was about the time that God started bringing me home as a prodigal child, just kind of doing my own thing, running my own way, living my own life. God started bringing me home. And um, once I started getting really involved in the church and the Lord really grabbed my heart again and I started serving, people like Phil Wing, my brother, and uh, you know others would come to me and they would say, you know, Jason, if you haven't done so before, you really need to think about going into ministry. And so I was encouraged that way. 
Some of you know my story. I actually sensed God's call into ministry back in my life, you know, in junior high. I remember sharing it with my youth pastor. I think that the Lord might be calling me into to ministry. And so through the ups and downs of high school and college life, like there were highs and lows, there were struggles and sins, there were situations that happened in my life that were difficult. But, uh, you know, I kind of had one plan in mind or maybe multiple plans in mind all along. God was working out his plan. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? We make our plans. The Lord accomplishes his plans. That's what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So um, again, just as a heads up for the rest of our study in the book of Acts, each sermon might just kind of be along this theme. So the sermons may feel a little bit repetitive over the next few weeks, but I, I guess, you know, to me, I was just praying about this last night and I'm saying, Lord, maybe this is repetitively in front of us because this is really a lesson you want us to learn right now as a church, that we have our plans, but God's always going to work out his plans. We're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 25. And if you're new with us today, I just want to, again, just reiterate, we are so glad you're here. Uh, if I've not met you, my name is Jason Wing. I'm lead pastor here. Um, and we are so glad to have new people with us each and every Sunday, whether you're here in person for the first time or maybe joining us online. We're glad to have you. We are studying the New Testament book of Acts. And as we come into chapter 25 today, we have covered a lot of ground so far. But just to kind of summarize where we've been, in the early chapters of the book of Acts, Jesus calls his disciples together. He is resurrected from the grave. He calls his disciples together and he says, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to be my witnesses. Taking the gospel where you go. And so the witness of the apostles starts in Jerusalem, the nearby regions of Judea and Samaria. And then eventually the gospel starts to go out into the non-Jewish regions of the world, the Gentile regions of the world. And mainly the gospel goes there through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so really from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 20, we've been seeing the gospel spread out. In the latter chapters especially, we've been focused on the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And now as we kind of got into chapter 21 and following in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul has completed his missionary journeys. He's returned to Jerusalem. While he's in Jerusalem, he has proffered to the Jews the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Jews did not receive this message well, and they thought of him as disregarding their law. Um, so the Jews started a riot. They didn't want, they wanted Paul dead, right? So the Roman officials had to step in two different times and spare Paul's life. And what ended up happening is Paul gets held in custody in uh, a different city, the city of Caesarea, north of Jerusalem, and he had to await trial there. Now, when we left off in Acts chapter 24, Paul is having this trial with the governor named Felix. Felix couldn't find a reason to punish Paul. He also didn't want to really offend the Jews by um, really disregarding their accusations against Paul. So he did what, you know, every uh, savvy decision maker does rather than make a decision. He just kicks the can down the road and holds Paul in jail for two more years. Until Felix, the governor, gets deposed by Nero, the emperor, and a new governor is assigned named Festus, and Festus is going to have to deal with Paul's case. Now, that's where we left off in chapter 24. 
Today we're getting into 25, and um, like always, I just want to preach verse by verse, teaching you um, through, you know, the, the proper understanding of God's word here. We're going to make some personal application at the end. We're going to see how the, all of this ties into Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And the next thing that we really need to do is to ask the Lord to really help our hearts grasp this main idea that when life doesn't go as we planned, God is still working out his plan, right? That's the main idea here. So let's start with verse one of chapter 25. God's word says this. It says, now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. So again, Festus is this new governor. He replaced Felix. Festus coming in as the new governor would have normally spent the majority of his time in the capital city of his region, the capital city being Caesarea. But we see here that he leaves Caesarea after just three days and he makes his way down into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was one of the most important cities in his region as well. Uh, obviously highly populated with Jews, a lot of political issues going on down there. So new governor Festus goes down to Jerusalem, likely trying to gain some political favor with the Jews by hearing uh, the matters that are on their mind. And one of the things that's on their minds is this situation with the apostle Paul. So verse two says, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. So here are the Jews. They are now speaking to Festus about the problems they have with Paul. Let's keep in mind that it has been two years that Paul has been held in custody in Caesarea. So he, Paul's in a totally different city held in custody. These Jews are in Jerusalem and they're saying, hey, We've had beef for two years here. We need to get our issue settled. Their, their bitterness is in their heart. Their anger is just kind of brewing there. It is, you know, they're not moving on, right? They're not just letting this go. They hate Paul. They want him gone. So they lay out their case against Paul to this new governor, Festus. And so it says in verse two that they urged him, verse three, asking as a favor against Paul that he, Festus, summon him, Paul, to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him along the way. So what do we have here? The Jews are, are asking Festus for a favor. We ended chapter 24 with the previous governor, Felix, giving a favor to the Jews. Rather than set Paul free, he held Paul in custody. Um, and uh, so now these Jews are kind of used to having favors given to them by the, the Roman governors. Uh, here they're asking Festus for this favor to transport Paul from his custody holding place in Caesarea to transport him down to Jerusalem. Not really because they really want him to get to Jerusalem. What do they want to do with Paul? They want to kill him along the way, right? They want to ambush him. So let's see how Festus replies to their request. Look at verse four. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So said he, let the men of the of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong in the man, let them bring charges against him. So essentially Festus says, no, I'm not going to, not going to transport him down your way. But those of you who are in authority, you can kind of make your way up to Caesarea with me and, and we'll see what happens. So it says, after he, again, talking about Festus, stayed among them, the Jews in Jerusalem, not more than eight or 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. 
Paul argued in his defense saying, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense, right? So what's Paul doing here? He's continuing to declare his innocence, um, pleading not guilty. He is, he knows that the previous governor, Felix, um, understood Paul to have done nothing wrong. He also thinks that the present governor, Festus, believes that Paul's done nothing wrong. He's going to, Paul's going to specifically say that explicitly here in the next few verses. So what's the new governor going to do? Look at verse nine. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, right? So here we go. They, he said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? So Festus is saying, Paul, you know, I invite you here to, uh, to come with me out of Caesarea. Let me transport you up to, to Jerusalem and I'll be the one to decide your case here. You won't have to stand before a Jewish council. You won't have other people being your judge and jury. I'll decide it. I'll just decide it in Jerusalem. Remember that it actually, Paul had already had a trial in Jerusalem. If you remember back to chapter 22 and 23, you know, the Jews put him on trial. Claudius Lysias had to step in and spare Paul's life. And Paul, you know, and Festus is now saying, come on, let's go back to that area. You got to imagine in Paul's mind, he's thinking, no thanks, man, not doing that. So let's see Paul's response. So Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. I do not seek to escape death, Paul says. Here's the thing we need to understand about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was ready to die. He understood in his mind that there are certain crimes that could have deservingly brought him a death penalty. He recognized that. He understood that to be a reality. And he says, look, if I've done those types of things that deserve death, then so be it. Give me the death penalty. But I want you to see that on a heart and internal soul level, the apostle Paul was ready to die. We've seen this in his missionary journeys. He's suffered for the name of Christ. He has put himself in harm's way. We see here once again that he's ready to die, which should raise a question in every one of our hearts. Everybody in this room, you really need to answer this question today. Um, are you ready to die today? You know, if today was your last day, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to enter into eternity? Some of you very quickly and gladly probably say yes. I'm ready to stand before God. I know my sins have been forgiven. I've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Others of you may have this fear of standing before God in judgment because you don't know for sure if your sins have been forgiven. You don't know for sure if the Lord would uh, enter you into his presence and keep you in eternity with him forever or if you would be condemned to hell. All of that can be settled for you today by trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. All of that can be set uh, at ease in your conscience by recognizing that Jesus didn't just die like a martyr on the cross of Calvary just to kind of plead, you know, the cause of the oppressed or something like that. He, he died there as a substitute. He was taking on the cross 
the punishment for sins, not his own sins, but your sins and my sins, the sins of those who would believe in him have been paid for at the cross of Christ. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in his death, burial, and resurrection, then God promises that all of your sins will be forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, which means that when this life is over and you breathe your last breath, you can stand before the Lord in judgment. And what did we say last week? When we stand before the Lord in judgment, what is our only defense? Our only defense is Jesus. Now, if you haven't believed on Jesus Christ, then you're probably not ready to die. My prayer for you is that the Lord may draw you to settle that in your heart even today. Now, Paul was ready. So he says, look, I, I don't seek to escape death if that's what is, you know, if that's what I deserve. So he was ready to die, but he didn't have a death wish. He, you know, he wants to live. He, he wants this procedure to go down in the right way. So he doesn't want Festus to just hand him over to the Jews who he knows wants to, to kill him. So he says in verse 11, but if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, I want you to think about Paul's move there. Paul appealed to Caesar. This isn't the first time he'd done it. He'd appealed to Caesar before. You know who Caesar was at this time? Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero's not cool with the Christians, right? He hated Christians and tortured Christians and wanted to shut down Christianity. But Paul has had this heart's desire all along to preach in Rome to the most important, powerful people in the world, right? And so Paul appeals to Caesar because really he wants to go there and preach the gospel. Pretty bold move by the apostle Paul. It says then, verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now, I want us to take a minute and just kind of remember some of the big picture of the book of Acts. If you think back to chapter 23 of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul had just gone through uh, this trial in Jerusalem. The, uh, the Jews did not like him. They were really trying to kill him and tear him apart. They caused a riot. Festus, or not Festus, uh, Claudius Lysias, the tribune, stepped in and, and had the Roman soldiers spare Paul's life, and they locked him in the barracks for his own protection. Now, while he was in the barracks in chapter 23, uh, verse 11, it says that the Lord appeared to Paul and said to him, as you have borne witness to me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness about me in Rome. So as we've said over the past couple weeks, the Lord promised to get Paul to Rome. That was part of God's plan. Get Paul to Rome. And here in chapter 25, Festus is now saying, Paul, you appeal to Caesar, you're going to go to Caesar. You appeal to Rome, you're going to go to Rome. So finally, after two years of waiting, right, under custody, finally, Festus says, all right, you're going to get to go to Rome. What is the, the, the main idea over these last few chapters of the book of Acts? Listen, when life doesn't go as you planned, God is still working out his plan. Because let's be honest, man, life probably was not going the way the apostle Paul planned. There's, there was nothing preferable about his uh, situation he found himself in, right? He's not amongst friends here. He is amongst enemies, the Jews that want to tear him limb to limb. He is in a vulnerable situation uh, with a Roman governor who has authority over him um, that kind of holds his fate in the balance. Paul is 
uh, being held in custody. He's been waiting two years. False accusations have been made about him, but people can't prove it. So what does Paul do? We talked last week. He's been waiting on God, waiting faithfully. He defends himself. He doesn't lie. He acts with integrity. He doesn't compromise. And finally, after all this time of waiting, he finally gets word that he's going to Rome. It's where he hoped to go preach. It's where God promised he'd go preach. And even though life probably wasn't going according to Paul's plan, it was still working out according to God's plan. Now, verse 13, we continue on. It says, now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice, okay, well, first we're introduced to a new guy here named Agrippa. I'll tell you about him in just a second. And this woman named Bernice, which by the way, Bernice, history tells us, is not only his wife, but also his sister. All right, so Agrippa's a messed up dude. And uh, here he is. He arrives at Caesarea and he greeted Festus. Now, I know it's hard to keep track of all these characters, but I, it's important that you kind of understand who this guy was. So it says he's, they call him Agrippa. He's actually King Herod Agrippa II. He's now king over Judea. He has authority over Festus. He's King Herod Agrippa II, which means there was a King Herod Agrippa I, which we read about back in Acts chapter 12. Herod Agrippa I is the one who beheaded James, the apostle. He is uh, the one who wanted to kill Peter. We read about this in Acts 12. Herod Agrippa the second is also the grandson of the man named Herod Antipas, who was the one who beheaded John the Baptist in the gospel accounts. He's the great grandson of Herod the Great, the one who had all the Jewish children killed uh, during the time when Jesus Christ was born. So Herod Agrippa II, not a good guy. He was next in the line of kings who hated Jesus and hated Jesus' followers, right? And he's the guy who shows up on the scene now to interact with Festus, the governor. So verse 14, it says, uh, and as they stayed there many days, right? So, so King Agrippa and, and Bernice, they stay many days. It says, Festus laid Paul's case before the king saying, and now for the next several verses, he's just gonna kind of recap all the events we've been studying for the past few weeks. Here's what Festus says. There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give anyone before the, uh, to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had an opportunity to make his defense concerning the charges laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered that the man be brought. When the accuser stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss on how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. Now, Let's just stop right here for a second. <clears throat> Festus, you know, is giving this report to King Agrippa and he says, here's, here's what these people are saying. They've, they've got these, uh, these claims about this certain man, Jesus, 
who was dead, but Paul asserts that he's been raised from the dead. And then Festus says, not being sure how to investigate these questions, here's what I did. These questions are two of the most important questions that anyone, including Agrippa and including you and I, can ever ask and investigate. Who is this Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? Who is this Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? So I imagine the Apostle Paul, you know, had, he's not in the room with them, but had the Apostle Paul got wind of this, you know, Paul might be thinking to something like this. Hey, hey, Festus, you're a smart guy. You're saying you don't know how to uh, investigate these claims, but come on, it's, it's really not that complicated. You want to investigate these claims about Jesus? I mean, you could ask me, Festus, I'll tell you about Jesus. Paul could say, hey, you, you don't want to ask me. You could ask some of the other apostles who are still living and ministering in the city of Jerusalem where you just came from. Hey, you want to know more about this Jesus, this certain Jesus? You know, you could ask uh, some of the Roman centurions who were at the cross when he was crucified. You could ask the Roman soldiers who were at his grave when the stone was rolled away. You could ask them. You could ask some of the 400 or so witnesses that he appeared to after his resurrection that I've written about. Hey, it's not that hard to investigate. You know, if there are witnesses, then you know what to do. If there aren't any witnesses, if you can't really investigate and talk to any witnesses, then you know what, Festus, you, you, you can just shut Christianity down. It's, it's disproven. But if there are witnesses, and if their testimony is credible, then Festus, you know what to do. And here's, you know what, I think Festus would have known exactly what he would have to do. He would have had to open up his heart and believe. He would have had to open up his mouth and confess. He would have had to bow his knee and submit, not to some Jewish king, not to any Roman emperor, but to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords, to Jesus Christ, the son of God who overcame the grave. That's who Festus should have investigated. That's the Jesus that you need to investigate if you've never done so. So the challenge for you, and it one, you know, one thing that every one of us in this room should do, if you've not done this before, you need to answer the question, who is this certain Jesus? Did he really rise from the grave? We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get to our application at the end. So Festus tells Agrippa all of this. He tells Agrippa that he asked if Paul desired to be tried in Jerusalem. Then Festus continues and he tells Agrippa about Paul's response. Uh, pick up in verse 21. Um, Festus says, but when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered, um, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Quite the, quite the uh, different circumstances here. One guy comes with, with great pomp and great honor and reverence, and then you have this prisoner, Paul, just kind of brought in on the side, right? Two totally different types of men brought in the room. Verse 24, And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, 
I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So you have this kind of speech by Festus here, and you kind of wonder where this is going to go. And so today we're going to kind of end with this little cliffhanger in chapter 25. We'll come back in chapter 26 and we'll kind of see where it's going to go next week. But as we end here today in chapter 25, here's what I want to ask you to do. We're left on this cliffhanger, but we can think back on some things. I want you to remember something that we talked about at the beginning of our study in the book of Acts. We said at the beginning of Acts that Acts is actually a sequel to the book of Luke, right? Luke is the prequel. Acts is the sequel. They're both written by the same author, Luke. And he's really trying to give an orderly account in the book of Luke of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, he's trying to give a a chronological trustworthy account of the rise of the early church. So these were originally kind of two pieces that went together as one. So when we keep that in mind, you can kind of think Luke has an intention. Luke has a purpose that he's writing for. Things are going to tie in between Luke and Acts. And so what I want you to do is to remember the words of Jesus that Luke wrote down in the gospel of Luke chapter 21 verses 12 through 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them about the things that are to come. He says, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought in before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to do what? Bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, uh, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Guys, These are Jesus's words about what was to come for his disciples uh, in their future. This was what was going to happen to the apostles and those that were going to go out in the world and bear witness about Christ. They were going to bear witness to who? Kings and governors. Who is Paul standing before right here in this courtroom setting, in this tribunal room setting? He is standing before a king, King Agrippa. He is standing before a governor, Governor Festus. And what's happening here is that the prophetic words of Jesus are being fulfilled right here in the book of Acts, right? This is all occurring. In fact, as we, um, if you recall, earlier in our study in the book of Acts, the Lord also gave some more prophetic words about Paul. Remember when Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9? He had previously been out persecuting Christians. The, The Lord shows up in his life, miraculously saves him, and then, uh, sends him blind into the city to meet a man named Ananias. Now, Ananias was a Christian. Ananias was, uh, you know, a believer. And now the Lord shows up to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to take this guy, Paul, in and uh, help him out. And I imagine Ananias being like, you sure about that, Lord? Because this guy is traveling around trying to kill all my friends. Uh, And the Lord says, yes, take him in. And what does the Lord say about Paul then? Acts 9.15, God says to Ananias, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Who is Paul standing before in Acts chapter 25? He's standing before King Agrippa. 
He has just come off of bearing witness in, in front of the children of Israel, the Jews. Again, I want you to see the prophetic promises of God are being fulfilled here. Because, guys, God is working his plan even when life doesn't go as we planned. All right? Through these ups and downs and unfavorable circumstances in Paul's life, God is keeping his promises. He's accomplishing his will and his word. So with that in mind, I want to end this morning on two uh, applicational takeaways for us. Two takeaways for us. Guys, when life isn't going as you planned, choose to trust God's plan. It's not just this general kind of theoretical principle. Oh, when, when life's not going well, then, you know, God can be trusted. No, this is a personal thing. When your life isn't going as you planned, choose to trust God's plan. I opened up talking about the way we envisioned our life, my, I, the way I envisioned my life going when I was young. You probably look back on your life and you envisioned the way that your life would shake out in certain ways. It probably didn't go according to your plan. It was the same with the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about his life. The Apostle Paul, man, he planned to become a leader of the Jews. God planned for him to become a preacher to the Jews. He planned to persecute Christians. God planned for him to be a Christian. He planned to close churches. God planned for him to start churches. And he planned to get to Rome quickly and preach the gospel. God had a different, slower path for him to get to Rome and preach the gospel. Life didn't go as Paul had planned, but in the midst of it, God was always working his plan. So how does this tie into us? Guys, I don't know what it is in your life right now that might not be going according to your plan. Maybe in your life you... You know, you plan to be married by now. Maybe in your life you plan to have children by now. Maybe in your life you plan to be more financially secure by now. Maybe in your life you plan to see your children be different than they are right now or your grandchildren be different than they are right now. Maybe you plan to be living in a different place than you are right now. Maybe you plan for your health to be better than it is right now. Listen, whatever isn't going according to your plan, you can still trust that God is working his plan. And I know that his plans, either the plans that he decrees or the plans that he permits, right? Because the way things unfold in our life, some of them are because of God's decretive will. He has said this is the way it's going to be. Other times it's shaking out because he has permitted things to happen. Never losing control. Never saying, oops, I made a mistake there or didn't see that one coming. God's decretive will or his permissive will ultimately all end up leading to his perfect will being accomplished. And so, whether by his decretive will or his permissive will, there may be things going on in your life right now that you're like, well, that's not according to my will. <laughs> it's not what I prefer, Lord. It's not easy for me. It's not what I like. It's not what I want. It's hard. It's painful. Some of you are going through seasons right now where life may not be going according to your plan. The general overarching principle from Scripture in the life of the Apostle Paul is that even when life is not going according to your plan, you can still trust God's plan. 
You know why you can always trust God's plan? Because God is always good. He doesn't cease being good. He doesn't. He doesn't act sinfully or wrongly in any way. His ways are perfect because he is perfect and he's perfectly good and he perfectly loves you and he perfectly loves us and he's going to work out all of his circumstances in history for his perfect plan. Now, some of us can struggle to believe that. It can be hard for us to believe that when things are, are difficult, which leads right into the second takeaway that I want to call out from this text today, and that's this. When it's hard to trust God's plan, remember Jesus and his resurrection. When it's hard to trust God's plan, remember Jesus and his resurrection. You know, it's hard to, tr to trust God when things seem wrong and unjust when it seems like we're receiving some sort of undue penalty in our lives or unfavorable circumstances, it can be so hard to trust God. But what I've preached before and what I want to remind you of again today is that there was never a more unjust moment in human history than the crucifixion of the Son of God. There was never a more undeserved moment of suffering than Jesus Christ hanging on the cross of Calvary. There was never a, a more sinful moment than Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, the wrongdoing that was done to him was completely undeserved when he was on the cross. And yet... Don't we look at that and don't we say, you know what? God knew what he was doing all along. We see the cross as unjust as it was. God still worked it out for his purposes. In fact, for those of us who struggle for our sins, you know, the, the way that we can sometimes doubt God, the way that we can rebel against God, the way that we can sometimes get so angry with God that we get accusatory towards God. That often happens when we are in moments of pain. And you know what? Even those moments were paid for by the blood of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. God was accomplishing his purpose for the salvation of mankind, for all who would believe. He was accomplishing your salvation and my salvation in the most unjust moment of suffering that's ever occurred. So, when it's hard to dress God's plan, Remember Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and what? Risen again. Because all along, God purposed in his heart to raise Jesus from the dead. He had a victorious, sovereign, good plan in the works all along, even in the most unjust moments. Now, believer, if you learn to trust God with that, I believe that will strengthen your heart to trust God in whatever circumstances you're dealing with today. The question is, have you come to believe in Jesus? I know that the believers in the room, you would say yes, but some of you in this room, you are 
maybe consider yourself a, ske- a seeker. You're not quite sure what you believe. You're here today, but maybe you're just kind of checking out this whole Christianity thing. You're not sure what you believe. Uh, Festus had two important questions he needed to inve- investigate. Who is this certain Jesus and did he rise from the dead? And I just want to end my time with you today talking about those two questions. Who is this certain Jesus? Guys, the Jews would have said he was simply a man from Nazareth. Jesus himself said that he came from heaven. The Jews said he was son of the uh, Joseph the carpenter. Jesus said he was the son of his heavenly father. The Jews said he was the one who broke the Jewish law. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. The Jews said he was a man who was drunk with wine. Jesus came and said he was the one that was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Jews said he had demons. Jesus came to cast out demons. The Jews said he should have avoided sinners. Jesus said he came to seek and save sinners. The Jews wanted Jesus dead on a cross. Jesus says, I'm going to be back in three days. The Jews killed him like a criminal. Jesus arose like a king. This is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus of the apostles. This is Paul's Jesus. This is my Jesus. I hope that this is your Jesus. This certain Jesus, you can be certain of who he is. How can you be so certain? How can we be so certain about Jesus's claims? What makes Jesus's claims so dependable? Let me tell you what makes them so dependable. Resurrection. Resurrection. He said, if you destroy this temple of mine, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And then he did it. Right? He He proved that he was indeed the son of God. King over all. The one who had the ability to conquer sin in the grave. How did he prove it? Through the resurrection. So the truth is, guys, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is a dead faith. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then Christianity is a living faith. And it's for you. So like Festus, investigate the question. He said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. How could I have, I didn't know how to look into these things. Well, look into them. Look into it for yourself. Don't just make up an excuse. Think about this. If the resurrection was a lie and there were no eyewitnesses, then why would the apostle Paul mention all these eyewitnesses in his writings? He wouldn't mention them unless they could be found and uh, asked and, and give testimony If the resurrection was a hoax, why didn't Rome just produce the dead body of Jesus and disprove Christianity immediately? They didn't. You know why? Because there wasn't a dead body to be found. If the resurrection was just made up by the apostles who just stole Jesus's body and hid it somewhere, would they have suffered and died in the ways that they did for a lie? The answer is, of course not. They suffered and died for what they believed because it was real. So just like Festus should have done, look into Jesus. Who is he? Did he really rise from the dead? And any unbeliever in the room, let the reality of the resurrection bring you to understand that Jesus wasn't just a good man or a good teacher who gave good moral advice. He was the son of God. And he came to this earth and died for your sin and rose again to conquer sin so that by believing in him, your sins can be overcome and forgiven and you can have eternal life with him forever. And like Paul, when you believe that, like Paul, you will be ready to die. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And believers in the room, as I mentioned earlier, 
Let the reality of the resurrection bring you to trust the plan of God, even when life isn't going according to your plan. He has a good purpose all along the way. He is a good God. And if you're saved, he's your good God. So God is working his plan, even when life doesn't go as we planned. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now for those who are in this room and life has not gone according to their plan. They're struggling, they're hurting. They hear this sermon and they want to believe it, but it's hard. Maybe they hear this sermon and they wish they didn't have to believe it because they would just prefer to be upset. Lord, I don't know what is going on in their hearts, but I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit right now, you would comfort them through the power of the resurrection. You are our living God, Lord. As you are alive and with us for those who are struggling and they are yours, if you are living in them through the Holy Spirit, would you now in your living power fill them with the strength that they need in this moment to trust you? And Lord, for those who may be in this room who haven't yet repented of their sin or trusted in Christ, I pray that today they would not ignore these two questions of who is Jesus and did he rise from the dead? And I pray that by the way you work in your sovereign and perfect power, that you would bring them to cross the line of faith to believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, crucified, buried, and risen again for the forgiveness of their sins. And that you would bring them to salvation today. Lord, when life doesn't go according to our plans, help us to trust your perfect plan. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.